we prepare this morning to hear from God's Word, will you uh, go ahead and, and turn to Psalm 18, and I'll, I'll um, give a little bit of introduction before we actually read the psalm itself. I have uh, never preached a psalm before, so uh, lucky you, you get to come along for the first ride. Um, it could be interesting when my, my level of poetry reading is Dr. Seuss to my kids, so um, we'll see uh, how this comes out. Uh, one of the things that we should see with this psalm before we actually read it is, is the heading. This has one of the longest headings of any of the psalms uh, to it, and I'll go ahead and read that in full before we get to the psalm itself. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. This will help us to set the context for this psalm as we get into it. And I know uh, Brian mentioned uh, in the first summer psalm this year that these headings, we're not actually entirely sure where they come from. Uh, They're in our earliest manuscripts that we have of the Hebrew Bible, but we don't typically, most scholars don't consider them to be inspired. Nevertheless, this does help us to set the context for this psalm. Uh, The big picture of this psalm is we'll read it. It's... It's a thanksgiving psalm. It's a song of thanksgiving to God uh, for his rescue from, from David's enemies. And as we, we get into the psalm, we're going to actually handle it under three headings that I want to go ahead and give you the headings now before we read it so that you can have them in mind as we read through the psalm itself. Um, these three headings are going to be the psalmist's praise for God's work for him, The psalmist's praise for God's work through him, and our praise to God for our victorious king. So keep those in mind as we'll read through the psalm. Um, One last comment uh, on this psalm is it's it's one of the longer psalms you're going to see as we read through it, so bear with me. We're going to actually read all of it at once straight through here at the beginning rather than breaking it into pieces. Um, it It is the third longest psalm after 119, Psalm 119 and Psalm 78. And um, the other thing is that actually you can find this psalm with just a couple small tweaks in 2 Samuel 22. This psalm is actually found there as well. Um, Without the first line, the first line is missing in in Samuel, and then there's a couple different vocabulary words. Otherwise, they're essentially the same. That as well helps us set the context for this psalm to make sense of it. Um, read along with me or, or just listen attentively as I read this. Uh, like I said, it's 50 verses. It's going to take us a couple minutes. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, his thick clouds dark with water. 
Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and he set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from the strife with, people, with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to, he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for this, your word. Lord, we praise you for what the psalmist has written for us. We pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be edified, that we would be built up by this this morning. Father, help us to make sense of this and to be able to, to like the psalmist, return to you in praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. The first six verses of this psalm we're going to treat as an introduction before we get to the body of the psalm itself in, in a really rapid-fire staccato fashion. David um, proclaims his love to the Lord, and then he heaps up these titles, uh, all centering around the idea that God is his protection, his safety. God is the one who has kept him 
and he is where he takes refuge. And he, and he praises God for that. Then he, he quickly turns in verse 4 and, and lays out his predicament for us. He says that the cords of death encompassed me. The psalmist David is on the edge of death. His, his enemies are encircling him. He is pinned down, as it were. He, is, he sees no way out. And in, and in this moment, he calls out. He says, from his distress, he calls upon the Lord. Um, and, then, and then verse 6 there ends with the, the great encouragement that he says, and from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry reached his ears. So from there, we'll actually get into what I'm going to call the body of the psalm. And in this first section, starting in verse 7, is God's response to David's prayer. And uh, as we read through that, hopefully you saw what a response it is. Um, starting off with the earth reeled and rocked. The language that David uses here is extraordinary. Uh, we see... Um, the cosmic proportions of what God does for David here. And hopefully, as, as you think back over the story of David, you're going, but where does this fit in? Where do we see in the books of Samuel God moving and acting in this way? Well, the short answer is, is with this lofty language, we don't. We don't see God acting uh, in these ways. As, as amazing as David's life is, and it truly is, you think of his being anointed and, and early on his battle with Goliath. You think of him fleeing from Saul and, and the amazing feats of, of that, that he undergoes and, and the men that are with him and the battles that he wins and, and the wars that he wages. Uh, David has an amazing life, but yet none of, it, none of it rises to what David's speaking of here. Um, uh, kind of a, an analogy I'd, I'd like to make is, is I think David's life um, would make a great movie, but it would be much more on the, on the level of, of Saving Private Ryan or maybe like Hacksaw Ridge with, with David and his 30 mighty men. Um, but, but how David describes it here would put the Lord of the Rings to shame. Um, it's just, it's, it's on a whole different level. And, and we got to ask, well, what's going on here? Why is, why is David using this language? And I think the, the first part is that David is applying to himself God's actions throughout redemptive history. Um, and just to, to kind of point this out, I think that first we see, you know, the, the earth reeled and rocked, and maybe our, our mind goes to Sinai as God comes down in his presence upon the mountain, and the mountain quakes and it is covered in darkness, and there's lightnings and flashing forth of light as the Israelites are at the bottom of the mountain. Um, certainly in judgment, we see God uh, sending the plagues upon Egypt, the hailstones and the fire. Uh, the coals of fire maybe make us think of Sodom and Gomorrah as God routes his enemies there. And David is taking this language. He's, he's bringing back all of, these, these, all of this imagery, and he's applying it to his own history. Um, and I think that that's something that is appropriate for him to do. Um, we can think of, as he speaks of the waters, we can think of Noah, maybe the crossing of the Red Sea, um, as, God, as God brings his people through the waters. 
Maybe even creation is being invoked here when he says he laid bare the foundations of the earth. Uh, when God acts, he acts in cosmic ways. He acts in, in ways that are beyond what we see. And I think that that is part of the point. Uh, what, are we, what are we to do with this? What are we to make of this language that David uses? And uh, the first thing I want to say is that the story of God's working on behalf of his people is our story. We are in the story as believers in Christ. We are placed in the story of what God is doing. It is appropriate for us to praise God for delivering us from our bondage and to use the language of Exodus to do that. That God has freed us from, from the bondage of sin, much like his Israelites were freed from the bondage of Pharaoh. And to see that what God has done for his people in rescuing them and defeating their enemies throughout redemptive history is what he has done for each and every one of us who has faith in Christ. These stories are our story. We can go to God with them and use them as we praise him and as we ask for his work on our behalf. Secondly, I think that David is teaching us to see beyond, uh, see more than what we see with our eyes of flesh. Uh, I can't help but read this and think of the episode with Elisha and his servant where they are surrounded by the Syrian army and the servant is panicking. And Elisha says, oh Lord, please open his eyes. And he sees that the mountains are full of the chariots of God. They are safe. The spiritual reality is different than what our eyes see. And David is pulling back the veil for us to see what was going on within his own life. Thirdly, I think this highlights the true gravity of God's work on our behalf. Oftentimes we pray, um, and, and if we're honest, many of our prayers are fairly mundane. Um, you know, we pray over our food, we pray for the day to go well, we pray for health, um, we pray for things that, that honestly, much of the time, do seem fairly mundane. But hopefully this gives us faith to go to that, to go and, and make those even those mundane prayers and see God's action on our behalf. And finally, I want this, this portion of, of the passage to, to give us courage in our prayers. Um, part of the reason why I picked this psalm at first was, was reading this first section. Um, the first time I read through it, my, my response or my thought was, God literally moved heaven and earth to answer David's prayer. Um, do you go to prayer in God with the thought that, that he is ready, willing, and able to move heaven and earth to answer your prayers? Um, that should give us great confidence when we go to God in prayer, if we would. So much for, for David's praise for, for what God has done on his behalf. Next, um, well, then at verse 16, we see, we see David proclaim the rescue that he experienced, that, that, da that God drew David out of the many waters. Um, again, waters often symbolizing death, that he was surrounded by death, and God reached in and drew him out, that it was, that it was God's working on his behalf. David recognizes that he was, he was not strong enough for this victory uh, as we said earlier, that he cries out in distress. He knows that he's undone. He knows he's without hope except for his hope in God. Um, and we see that God pulls David back from the brink of death and sets him in a peaceful place. 
And this will somewhat come into play as we get to our third point. But with that, let's go ahead and go to, to my second one, which is David's thanksgiving for how God worked through him. And, and this will pick up and start in verse 28, actually. Um, and we start to see here David in verses 28 through 36, he's listing out how God has prepared David for the calling that he's placed upon David. Um, David is strengthened for war, right? He says, you light my lamp, and by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. Um, He is my shield, and I take refuge in him. He equips me with strength. He makes my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He trains my hands for war so that I can bend a bow of bronze. David is praising God for preparing him, for giving him the strength to carry out the calling that David has, the calling as king. God anointed David, and then he gave him what he needed to fulfill that calling. We, we see here, um, again, David's reliance upon God, but we, we see this refrain throughout, or sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Um, it, here again, th- this passage, I, I can't help but think that this is possibly what Paul had in mind in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. David speaking of being able to run against a troop and leap over a wall and run as fast as a deer. Um, he sees that it is God who has equipped him for his calling, much like Paul saw that God was who equipped him for his apostleship. Um, I think Philippians comes up again within this, this psalm as well. But then we see David's, David's faithfulness and his success that he has with God strengthening him and preparing him for his calling. Starting in verse 37, uh, we pick up, And he says, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. And then I want you to pick up on this refrain because he keeps coming back and he goes, for you equipped me with the strength for battle and you made those who rise against me seek under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. Skipping ahead, 43, you delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. David sees in his own actions, he sees God's work, in it, even in his own actions. Here again, this is, this is what I think of with the, the reference to Philippians in 2.13, where it is God who is at work within us, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. I think David sees that, that it is God's work within him that is giving him the success as king. And, and I think our takeaway from that is we should, we should not only praise God for our rescue, but we should also praise God for the success we have in, in all that we undertake. Not only does he deliver us from sin, but any sanctification that we experience, we should return to God in praise for that. Um, we see that, that even those actions are not our own, but they are God's actions on our behalf. They have been given to us by the Lord. So moving on to to my third big heading, praise for our victorious king. Um, Those of you that are are observant have noticed that I've skipped right over the center section of this psalm Um, and and maybe thought I just didn't actually want to deal with that section, but but we are going to deal with that now. 
Um, and it creates some challenges for us, admittedly. Um, we see here the language at first glance can, can confuse us and maybe cause us to wonder different things. So let's, to remind us, let, let's read just a few of those verses again, where starting in verse 20, he says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. So our first thought might be, what, you know, what, is David claiming that he is worthy of eternal salvation based on his own righteousness? Is that what, is that what he's saying here? And, and uh, maybe that starts to, to sit a little awkward with you and go, I don't, I don't quite like that? What do I do with that? Um, well, the short answer is no, and, and I want to I give um, a couple reasons for that, and I, I'm going to go about this in, in a way that I learned um, from reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, where he likes to go negative and then positive. So first we're going to talk negative. What, what David isn't saying and, and what he isn't saying is just that. He's not saying that he has earned eternal salvation by his own works, by his own righteousness. And um, I'm not going to quote Calvin, but I'm going to paraphrase him here. And, and our, first, our first evidence is, is context, context, context. Again, that's paraphrasing. Um, but David here, he's, he's dealing with his enemies, right? He is dealing with there are still survivors to the house of Saul who think that David is a usurper, that he does not belong on the throne, that he took the throne from Saul and not rightly, that David is, is not the rightful king of Israel. Um, we see that all the way through uh, David's life. There are, it seems like there's always someone that pops up who is still a supporter of Saul and his family and his kingdom and thinks that David should not be on the throne. Um, so David, he's responding to those enemies. He's responding to those enemies with this. He is saying, no, I, I, am, I have been righteous. I was called as king, and I have fulfilled that calling. And that's, that's the second part of what he's doing. He's claiming his faithfulness to the calling. To, we need to have a category. I think, I think that's what's really going on here is a category distinction. He isn't speaking in terms of salvation. He's speaking in terms of covenant-keeping. And he is claiming that he has kept the covenant that God made with him as king. He has been faithful in that. He is putting his faithfulness on the line um, in saying that, that God has rewarded him for that faithfulness. And, and with that category, um, even as David is king of Israel, he is under another king, right? He is under the Lord as the ultimate king. He is a vice king, a vassal king, um, and, and that comes with both responsibilities, but it also comes with privileges. And David here is evoking the privileges of that. He has said, I have been faithful. You, you owe me protection because you, I have been faithful. And the covenant says that as if I am faithful, you will protect me when I am attacked. Um, he's making use of the political atmosphere of ancient Israel. 
where this was a common practice, that you had a great king who would have several kings under him, and as long as they were loyal to him, he would protect them if they were attacked. And David is saying here, I have been attacked. Come to my rescue. I have been loyal. Um, the, the second point uh, to, to prove that, to, to prove that David isn't claiming that he, owe, that he has earned salvation is, um, well, the rest of Scripture. <laughs> we see that David is well aware of his sins. Go read Psalm 32. Read Psalm 51. Read David's response when Nathan says, you are the man. Um, David knows his wickedness. Uh, for us to think that David here is, is trying to say that he gets eternal salvation based upon his works would be to really make David a confused individual uh, with the rest of Scripture. Um, he'd be contradicting himself, wouldn't he, if that's what he were to say here. So, so back to the positive claim of what David is saying. He is saying, I have been a loyal, faithful servant. Um, David would have heard, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? He will hear that. He has served the great king, and he is entitled to his protection. Um, and just to make this point, I think David, we know that David is one of the great examples of faith in the Old Testament. And in some remarkable ways, as I've been reflecting on this psalm and been reflecting on this passage and what to do with it, I have just, again, been um, amazed at, at how uniquely faithful David really was. And the first thing that blows me away is David's patience. David was anointed king long before he sat on the throne. And David had ample opportunity to have become a usurper. He could have taken it into his own hands and killed Saul multiple times. He had men who were following him already. The army loved him. The nation loved him. And yet David refused to take out his hand against the Lord's anointed, against Saul. David, um, just to compare him to, to one of our other great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, Abraham. Abraham's promised an heir, a seed, and time goes by and he doesn't have it. So Abraham's like, you know what, God? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I know how this works. Um, my wife, she's the problem but she has, she has a maidservant. We can bring this heir about. I'm going to do it. David doesn't do that. David refuses to do that. He holds fast to the promise. He's faithful in that way. Um, I think he is, for that alone, would be one of the greatest examples of faith in the Old Testament. We see how many of, of our heroes of the faith fail to wait upon God's promises. Um, I think another illustration of his great faithfulness is that he repents when he finds out his sin. When his sins are pointed out to him, he repents. He doesn't bear up. He doesn't challenge it. He doesn't fight that he's sinful. He, he repents, and that is a sign of faith. Um, David's submission, when he tries to bring the ark to Jerusalem, and Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark and dies, and, and David realizes that he after some time, realizes that he'd been a, went around it, went about it in the wrong way. And he corrects it. He goes back and he finds God's instructions on how that was to be done, and he does it. He submits when God tells him not to build the temple. 
David starts making plans to build a temple, and God says, no, you are a man of war and you have blood on your hands. When the kingdom is at peace, the temple will be built. And David submits to that. Um, I think that's amazing that, that here he is as king. He has all the earthly resources at his hands to do it, and he stops. And he leaves it for his son to carry that on. Of course, facing Goliath uh, in the name of, of the Lord of Israel. Um, and then lastly, I think when, when David takes, um, when it actually says that God stirred uh, up David and so that he took the census and then he punishes him, and God comes and offers him three ways, three ways that you can be punished for what you've done. There could be famine, you can fall into the hands of men, or I will bring my angel of judgment. And I think it's telling of David's faith that he picks the last and his reason for it, because he's like, my God is merciful. I will take my chances with him. That's a response of faith. Lastly, we, we see God's own testimony of David's faithfulness. Uh, just one example is 1 Kings 15.20, uh, where it says, Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Um, Throughout Kings and Chronicles, as all the rest of the kings of Israel and Judah, we see that David is the standard. Every king is held up to the standard of David. Um, but as we think of David fulfilling his covenant, as we think of David being the, the loyal, obedient, covenant servant, I hope your minds are starting to think of, we know another covenant servant, don't we? We know another one who is loyal and obedient. Um, and it's a Sunday school answer, right? It's Jesus. It's Christ. We see that he was given a task to come down for our sakes, to take upon himself flesh, to be humbled, and to be obedient to the point of death. And he does that. He does that. We, we can think of this psalm... Um, Robert Godfrey, uh, Dr. Robert Godfrey, one of my professors, um, I'm sure it's, it's probably not original with him, but he's who I heard it from, that, that Christ is the ultimate singer of the Psalms. And we can see, David, or we can see Christ singing this psalm. You know, the, the chords of death encompassed me. Uh, think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Think of him on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Death is coming upon him. And he cries out to God, right? And we know, again, the earth rocks and shakes. There's earthquakes and darkness uh, at that time. We see certainly uh, Christ being able to say that God had prepared him for the task that he had. He had given him the strength to come down and to live as a man, to live perfectly obedient for the 30-some years of his life upon earth. He had been strengthened with the obedience to, to fulfill his calling that he had. And then we, we see also at the end of this psalm how Christ uh, can say to God that you have given me, well, you have made me the head of nations. 
David arguably was ahead of what would become two nations after it split. Twelve tribes, if you want to, if you want to try to boost the number. Um, but Christ becomes the head of all the nations, right? He is, he is the one that this is speaking of. Foreigners hear of him and they believe and they become obedient. We're those people, right? I don't know of any of you being ethnically Jewish. We're all the foreigners. We're the ends of the earth that would have been at that time. He was given vengeance as he is, as he is risen, as he is raised from the grave. He has vengeance over the enemy, right? Our great enemy. He plunders him. And he has been exalted. Indeed, he's at the right hand of God right now. And then I, I think as we get to the very end of the psalm that, that we, we now, our response is to praise God among the nations for the salvation he has brought, uh, as the psalm says, to his king. But, but I think for us, we would read that as through his king. He has brought salvation through his king to us. For God truly did show his steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his greater offspring forever, right? So from this, this morning, hopefully you will be encouraged in your prayers to, to maybe use the language of redemptive history, to, to see that your prayers are on a greater stage and maybe even less mundane than what you typically think. I hope that you will see God's work through your own life and, and give him praise for that, even the little things that he strengthens you to do. And I hope finally that you will, first of all, place your faith in Christ, who is the greater king, who is the one who ultimately sings this psalm, who is the one who is ultimately taken from the snares of death and made victorious and, and, and crushes the enemies. And I hope that, that from that, from that faith, that that would then overflow in a praise to God among the nations, among our neighbors, among those who we are with, that we would be in awe of the, the cosmic work that God does on our behalf, and that we would have those eyes that, that Elisha prayed for, for his servant, to see better um, how how God has moved on our behalf, how he is moving on our behalf, and the true spiritual reality behind our lives. Uh, with that, let's, let's turn to prayer. Father, we do thank you for this psalm. We thank you uh, for the things that you can teach us through it. Father, we praise you for our great and victorious King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you that he was obedient, that he did not count equality with you, um, as something to be grasped onto, but for our sake, he became lowly and a servant, that he could be victorious, that he could, that he could lead the captives to freedom, Lord, that he could take us and set us free and, and be our king. We pray that we would worship him. We pray that we would sing his praises, that his praise would be upon our lips. Father, we pray uh, all these things in the name of, of our victorious king, Jesus Christ. Amen.